So let's go ahead and get started here in the scriptures. Uh, let's go to Matthew 28. I'm going to read a verse that most of us are familiar with. And I know that, you know, here in, in the New York metro area where you have the second largest Jewish community in the world in this area, and you have the nations at our doorstep, and in the midst of it, God's raising up a prayer movement, uh, that this passage is, is uh, on your minds. I'm sure it's on the minds of the body of Christ uh, as, a, as a very important priority of the Lord. But it's, we're going to read the Great Commission here. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And then verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, in light of the fact that I have been given all authority, here is what I want you to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. You know, that word nations there could also be translated Gentiles. You know, that Jesus is commissioning these Jewish apostles in accordance with Israel's destiny to be a light to the nations. Go and instruct the Gentiles in my ways. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so here we have this promise. I'm with you to the end of the age. There's a reason why Jesus makes that promise. <laughs> right? It's going to be tough through this age until he comes back. And especially at the end of the age. We need to know that he's with us. And we need to know that the one who has promised to be with us is the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, because that task of proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and teaching them to obey his commandments is difficult and will cost us everything to be a faithful witness of the cross in hope of the glory to come. So let's, let's you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to this all authority in heaven and on earth. Let's just briefly review our story as, as Jesus' disciples, followers of the Messiah. There's this Messiah prophesied in the law and the prophets. He's going to come. He came. He appeared in the flesh that the word of God, who is for, you know, God, the word of God has always existed. But the word of God becomes flesh. He takes on a human body, a real human body that is mortal, that can die. You know, in the beginning, God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And they actually went back into the dirt from which they were taken, right? They died. And this punishment, this, it, it's God's heart to remove it. And so that's what you see at the second coming. He raises us from the dead. It's this, the problem of death came into the world through sin. And so Jesus, Jesus brings an end to death at the second coming by means of the forgiveness of sin at the first coming. 
Death came into the world through sin. Death goes out of the world through the forgiveness of sins. And so the Messiah will, will, will restore all things when he appears and comes back and raises us from the dead. Well, in order for the punishment that we deserve to be put upon him, he had to come in a body that could actually die. It was without sin. He was without sin, but he was in a mortal body that was weak, that could feel pressures and temptations, that the powers of the air could come against him, and it was difficult, like the, the, the 40 days in the wilderness, right? Those were not easy days. He was hungry, and the devil came at him with everything that he could. So we know the story. He gives a faithful witness. He instructs us in the ways of God. He gives the authoritative interpretation. Here's what the law and the prophets were really all about. My interpretation is the authoritative interpretation, and the Father vindicates that by raising him from the dead, right? This is what God is looking for, and then on, he goes to the cross, he dies, he rises from the dead on the third day. So he's experienced all of the same kinds of temptations and trials, and th- he, he knows what it's like to be in our shoes. Somebody who gets afflicted by the devil. Has anybody ever? been afflicted by the devil, like the flaming arrows that come against you and and trying to deceive you and and lead you astray so that we trying to get us to share in in the fate that he knows is his and i you know somehow in his delusion thinking maybe he can get himself out of it whatever is going on in the devil's mind he he hates us he comes against us he tries to deceive us we're mere flesh and blood And he's trying to destroy us. And Jesus comes and experiences this type of oppression from the enemy. And yet he humbles himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. And on the third day, as we know, the father vindicates him by raising him from the dead. Well, that's not it, though. Yes, we have a first fruits of the resurrection, Christ of first fruits. And then when he appears, those who are in him, those who are in union with him, the harvest of resurrection when he comes back. The good news of the resurrection isn't just that Jesus rose from the dead. We want to know what does that mean for me? Like, do I rise from the dead? Yes, but it's not our time yet. Our time is at the second coming. That we know we can have hope. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead because we actually know there. No, God has actually raised somebody from the dead. And if he did it for Jesus, then those who are united with him, he'll do it for us. And so Jesus rises from the dead as the first fruits, and then he ascends to the Father's right hand, all authority in heaven and on earth. He he ascends to the, the highest place. He receives the name above all names as somebody who experienced what we experience on the earth in this fallen age, as a faithful, merciful high priest. And then what does he pour out on us? The Holy Spirit as a deposit and a guarantee pointing ahead to the day when when the deposit, that, that, that which is deposited when we receive the fullness of it. You make a deposit on a house, you're committed, you're pledging that I'm going to pay for the rest of the house in the same way the Lord gives us a spirit as a deposit as a pledge saying, I will give you the rest. I will redeem your bodies on the day that I come back. Now, so let's, let's picture this together. God becomes a man, and we've got the Father sitting on his throne in the highest heaven, 
And then you also have powers and principalities, a lower place of authority in the low in, in heavens, in the lower heavens, right? Colossians 1, that he created thrones and powers and dominions. That there are powers and principalities governing the nations of the earth, deceiving the nations of the earth, trying to get the nations of the earth to join in their rebellion. That the things happening on the political scenes, the thing when nations goes to war, go to war and kings are, are rising up against God, that it's in partnership with these powers that have authority over them. Okay? But those powers are not in the place of highest authority. There's an authority higher than them. But those powers are in a place of greater authority than us. We're little guys. We're flesh and blood. I've been around for 37 years. These powers have been around for a long time. <laughs> okay? They've been perfecting their craft. They've been perfecting their wickedness, knowing how can I study a person and learn all of their vulnerabilities and their weaknesses based on their family situation, based on this and this and this, so that I can deceive them and destroy them because I hate them. I'm like, what, what did I, I just, why do you hate me? You know, like, I don't understand, like, I'm just this little guy. I want to, I have enough hard, hard enough time with my own sin. Like, why are you guys trying to add to the calamity? Right? So picture this. These powers and these principalities trying to deceive the nations, they're in this place of, they're not in the place of highest authority, they're in, but they're in a place of authority. They're thrones. They're powers, right? They're in, they were entrusted with some degree of authority over the creation, and in their rebellion, now they're using that authority. They're abusing it, trying to lead the nations in wickedness and rebellion. And here we are getting afflicted by them as people made of dirt. God loves us and he's put his spirit in us, but we're flesh and blood. Jesus becomes one of us and he was in the place of highest authority. He comes to our level and experiences the affliction that we experience at the hand of the devil. But then he rises from the dead and he goes back to the place of highest authority. And then you have the one in the place of highest authority pours out the spirit into those who are on the earth still being afflicted by a place, still being afflicted by the ones in that place of secondary authority. Now we've got some drama going on. See what I'm saying? Do you feel this? You're like, wait a minute. What's going on here? What is God doing? Ephesians chapter 3. That the manifold, multifaceted, multicolored wisdom of God might be made known to the powers and principalities of the air. What is happening here, guys? There's a drama taking place. God has a point to prove to them. He has a point to prove to us. And in the end, on his day, his name will be the only name that's vindicated in the whole thing. The way he's executing his plan matters. We know what the plan is, but the way he carries it out, he's making a point through it. And it's something that's going to result in his glory forever and ever. 
So now picture this. He puts his spirit into us. Let's go to Isaiah 11. Let's see what the Messiah, he's given us his spirit. Let's see what that spirit is all about. Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of Jehovah will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom. That this spirit that rests on the Messiah imparts wisdom imparts understanding that is God's wisdom and God's understanding. What the world, what demons call wisdom is not what this spirit gives. This spirit from God gives the wisdom of God himself, the spirit of understanding, understanding of the ways of God, understanding what God is like, what God loves, what God hates, why it matters. The spirit of counsel and of power that the Spirit counsels and guides. When He comes, He will guide you into all truth. The Spirit gives counsel. The Spirit gives power. He doesn't just give understanding, but He gives strength. He gives might. And if it's God's Spirit, then it's God's strength. There is no greater strength. See what I'm saying? This is If it's the Spirit who gives power, it's the Spirit of the Lord. The Lord's power, the greatest power there is. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Just as a footnote, if you read in the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, there's a seventh aspect, the spirit of godliness. So, so whatever manuscripts they were translating, there was this seventh aspect. So this is where you get the concept of the sevenfold spirit of God, the seven spirits. The sevenfold, it could also be translated, the sevenfold spirit is talking about the Holy Spirit. There's these seven things about the Holy Spirit that he's producing in people that, that God, when he puts his spirit into us, these are the things that we're going to see him produce in, in somebody. And so when God, Jesus ascends to the Father's right hand, He's higher, the place of highest authority, above the powers of the air, who are over us. And yet, he puts his spirit inside of us, and now we have, this, we're united, we're one with the Messiah, who is in the place of highest authority, who understands what we're going through, while we're being oppressed by the powers in this lower level. That spirit is going to work in us to produce godliness, He's going to give us strength and wisdom and might concerning the ways of God. The ways of God, which are contrary to the ways of these powers. Right? The problem is, we have been in agreement with those powers until we're filled with the Spirit. So we have to be set apart and sanctified. Just as God is set apart and sanctified from those imposters, the idols and the, the false gods of the earth, he wants those who are united with him to be set apart from those who worship those false gods. If we're coming now into union with the Messiah, into submission to the God of Israel, the one true God, then we too must be holy as he is holy. Well, 
How is this going to happen? So picture this with me. His name on that day will be the only name. His kingdom, the only kingdom. That's the one we want to inherit. We don't want to inherit what the devil and his angels will inherit, the lake of fire. We don't want that. We do not want that. We want his kingdom. So we have to be set apart. We have to be cleansed. We have to be sanctified. And here's, how it, here's what it looks like. I have the spirit given to me. I'm in this weak mortal body still. I don't have my resurrected body yet. I'm still subject to temptations. I'm still subject to the flaming arrows of the devil. But I've got a goal and a race I'm running. And it's a race on my knees. See what I'm saying? And so those powers, they're using their authority to afflict me. Arrow, boom. Arrow, boom. Arrow, boom. And I feel it. Oh, God, I want to do this thing. Oh, God. And then my Messiah stands at the Father's right hand and says, No! Father, strengthen my, strengthen my servant. And the Spirit of God begins to move. And you're like, Godliness! Oh, God! Strengthen me! Strengthen me! Strengthen me! I believe in your day. I believe in your day. And the devil, God, I don't want to share in his fate. And that Spirit comes in. You say, No! No to that arrow of lust. No, I will not throw stones at my brother in my mind. I will not exalt myself in pride. I can't do it in my own strength, Father. Come to my aid, not my will, but yours be done. And the Spirit of God, who is filling us, helps us in our weakness with groans too deep for words. And you know what? He is linked to the one who is in the place of higher authority than the powers that are afflicting me. And so I can... So... so. I don't have to yield to the temptation. I don't have, the, the, the pressures are strong, but I don't have to be a slave to sin. And this is the point, Paul's writings, that sl- we don't have to be slave to sin doesn't mean that the pressures don't come and the temptations don't come, but it means that we have the resource available to actually resist it by his power, by the spirit, because our Messiah is in that place of highest authority interceding for us. And so what happens is, Prayer by prayer through the spirit of godliness with understanding of what's at stake and the reward to come. Prayer by prayer, weeping, crying out, God, save me, save me, save me, deliver me. I believe in your age. And you say, no, devil, I will not look at that woman in that way. I will not manipulate her body in my mind. I will not go. I will not give myself to lust. No, no, no. I will not cheat in this way. I will not manipulate the system to gain money for myself. No, no, no. You mortified the deeds of the flesh. I can't do it, Lord. Strengthen me by your spirit. And then the groans come. And suddenly, light comes to your mind. And you're like, wait a minute. I didn't do it. (laughs) You know? Hey, and that's, uh, you know, I'll just... I'm just going to, I'm going to just share something. I'm going to be transparent, an example of my own life. I was, I was, I was walking, I was visiting, uh, meeting a family for the first time. And there was, one of this man's daughters, she was 20 years old. She was a beautiful woman. And I was just walking along through the hallway and I saw her. And the and I just it was this onslaught of flaming arrows coming against my mind. And I said, Lord, 
no temptation has seized me except what is common to man. It's coming. And I, I said, okay, what do I do? And, and I went to the bathroom, and I closed myself in a stall. And I said, God, help me. Save me. And it was like, does that, does that sound weird? I don't care if somebody thinks it's weird. I don't care if they hear me. Maybe they should do it too. And there's two or three more stalls next to me. You know? like, I'm just like, Lord, save me. Lord, I want to be faithful to my wife from the depths of my heart. Lord, I don't want to yield to this thing. And Jesus, I'm in this little stall, and he's at the Father's right hand, and something's happening, and demons are like, ah! And I don't know. And I come up, and I'm like, it's gone. It's gone. Right? And so, or, or think about it, the, when, when the accusation of the enemy comes. And it's not, it's, you know, it's resisting the pressure, but it's also, he comes with that lie, that deceit. He says, he says, don't you realize how wicked you are? Don't you realize how, like, look how, you can't, you can't love your enemies. Look at you. Look at, like, look, look, don't you remember how you spoke to your wife last week? And you say, you know what? You're right. I am the most wicked wretch on the earth. And it was, I wish to God that I hadn't have stumbled in my speech in that area. And I wish I didn't have to go the repentance route. I wish I just wouldn't have done it. But God, you know, and you say, you know what, devil? You're right. But it's never been about who I am anyway. So in the name of Jesus, I boast in the blood of the Messiah and I trust him for forgiveness. And though I deserve eternal fire more than any other man on the earth, I boast in the cross and I receive his mercy by grace through faith. So shut your mouth, devil. And he's like, and he's like, how can he? The devil's like, well, I can't get him through the temptation. And then I come with the accusation and God's like, see my wisdom? And he's putting it on display to the powers in context to the good fight of the faith. And it's a fight. It's not easy. Christianity is hard. It is hard. But I tell you what, we have to realize the stakes that one day it will end. And one day the struggle will end. But guys, we've got to fight the good fight by the power of the Spirit day by day, step by step, prayer by prayer. And so what's happening here, sorry, I have this mic, so I can't like, you know, what's happening is here, Jesus in the place of highest authority, these secondary authorities, we're here. He's taking us there. They're pushing back against us. They want us to suffer because they hate us. God sends the suffering through them because he loves us. And so he uses their own malintent against themselves to actually bring us into sanctification and cleansing. See what's happening here is that we share in the sufferings of the Messiah because of the goodness of God. We share, we experience the afflictions of the devil, and they're happening, they're the same thing, but for totally different reasons. God's heart is good in it, and there's a destiny in it for us. And so they're coming against us. Jesus is pulling us through this prayer by prayer. 
And then what happens is, on the day he comes back, he raises us up from the dead and exalts us, and he tears them down and throws them in the lake of fire. I mean, this is where it's going. The manifold wisdom of God displayed to those powers that God has made a way for weak flesh and blood vessels like us who don't deserve his love, but yet who have it in his image. He's made a way for us to actually receive the inheritance by his power, his grace, which is able to work in you and give you an inheritance. So that's what this chart is about. I want to say thank you to David Rickman. Last night I was, uh, I have this updated version of Microsoft Word and, and I kept trying to use it and it wasn't doing what I wanted to do. So I said, David, can you please help me do this real quick? Because I've got to leave this prayer meeting at the conference. And So anyway, thanks, David. So this little chart is kind of a picture of what I'm talking about where Jesus is the, at the Father's right hand. The arrows are used to indicate the direct, you know, the righteousness and wickedness, right? So God at the, at, at the height of the heavens, it's light, right? There's no darkness there in the sense that there's no, there's no evil. There's no sin. The, the age to come is the age of light, right? It's the day. We're in the, we are presently in an age of darkness, and yet we shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. We live as even though we're in the dark, we live according to the day that's coming. And so that's why you can see that the light of heaven there through the intercession of the Messiah is being straight through the spirit is being put into us so that we can be children of light as we're on our knees going towards the day the, to the day of light. These powers and principalities in the second heavens here, they're, they're using their authority and their power exerting that to try to get us to turn away from righteousness and to stay in the darkness. And in the end, we're vindicated. We share in the joy of our Messiah, whom we're united with. And the powers of the air end up where? In the lake of fire. So, now, notice that this little guy in this picture is on his knees. Okay? Now, I want you to take out the second chart. Jesus has given us the spirit. He has not left us as orphans. He's given us provision. He's given us provision of the spirit, the provision of the cross, the provision of the messianic intercession, if you will. He's given us these provisions to get us through this age. The question is, he's given us the spirit. We know what the attributes of the spirit are. Well, what, how does this work out practically? I want to say it works out practically in prayer on your knees through gospel-centered prayer. Gospel-centered prayer. And what I mean by gospel-centered prayer is we need to pray with understanding of what is happening. If we're praying thinking that we're playing Monopoly, but we're actually playing Phase 10, right? then things can get out of whack. We want to know, how do we pray on our knees in light of what God has said is happening? What is the storyline that's happening? And if you will, the simple key to that is the prayers that the apostles prayed. 
the prayers the apostles prayed, the apostolic prayers that you guys pray in here all the time, right? The apostolic prayers. The messengers entrusted with the gospel know what it means to pray and access the grace and strength and power of God freely given through the Messiah so that we can be sanctified. But prayer is vital. Let's look here. I, I, I'm going to, the, on this side here, we have the sevenfold spirit. And then we're going to look and compare the Apostle Paul's prayers. And if you notice that his prayers center on the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying and preparing us for the age to come as we're under the affliction of these powers and the, the temptation. So, the spirit of wisdom. Let's look. Paul says, Colossians 1.9. We have not stopped praying for you. Okay, so Paul's praying continually. That would seem to indicate that it's very important, right? Like they're not, these Gentiles, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, they're not going to be sanctified and set apart. Like prayer is central to what's happening. Paul can't sanctify them. He can teach them. He can make known the Messiah's teaching, make disciples teaching them all I've commanded you, but he can't actually write it on the heart. He can't. Say yes for them. See what I'm saying? So the prayer side is vital on the part of the servants. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is Ephesians 1.17, the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. So here we have Isaiah 11, the spirit of wisdom. Well, where's Paul getting this from? He's getting it from Isaiah 11. This is what... That God says the Spirit does. That's why I'm going to pray for this, the Spirit to do this, because God has actually given us the Spirit to prepare us and help us as we go towards that day. Colossians 1.9, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom, wisdom from the Spirit. The TEV says the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Okay, and he's not only the spirit of wisdom, but the spirit of understanding. I pray that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Colossians 1.9, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. Here we have it again, that in those moments when the temptation comes... God breathes on our minds and says, understand what's happening. Understand that no eye has seen and mind can see what I have prepared for those who love me. And you are loving me in this situation by saying no, by not pushing that button, by not watching. You know what I'm saying? Like, you are loving me. Let me give you understanding of what I have in store for people who do this thing that you're doing right now. Okay? Let me give you understanding of the gospel. Let me, let me give you understanding of the inheritance. Let me make known to you the things that are on my heart, the things of Jesus. The Spirit makes them known to us and says, you're united with him. You're united with him. You're a co-heir with him, provided you suffer with him. You'll also share in his glory. Romans 8 there. Let's go to the next one. The Spirit of counsel. You know, the counsel, the one who gives guidance. Don't go this way. Go this way. No, you know, you know, you, you know what happens when you do that. You know how vulnerable you set yourself up to be when you put yourself in that situation. Don't do that. Don't do that. <clears throat> Guidance. Lord, 
we have a church discipline situation. What do we do? How do we, how do we handle this so that the gospel is honored and not slandered? Right? Guidance, counsel. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to advise him? But we have the mind of Christ. And in this context, that there's, you know, if, you, if you're doing, doing word studies and stuff, you'll, you'll, you'll realize that mind and spirit are very closely related. That actually um, the, the Septuagint translates the word spirit with mind. And there's these different kinds of things happening. The point is that the spirit influences our minds to make wise decisions in agreement with the gospel in faith of the age to come in faith in the sprinkling of his blood, in faith in the cross, counsel, guidance, the mind of the Lord, the mind of Christ through the spirit, the spirit of power. Ephesians 1.19, I pray that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So here, that's exactly what Isaiah said the Spirit does. He's the Spirit of power and might. uh, Colossians 1.10, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, because that's what the Spirit does. Spirit of knowledge. Let's go to the next one. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in what? In the knowledge of him. If you're going to be holy as he is holy, you need to know what he is like. He needs to open up the scriptures to us like he did to the the guys on the road to Emmaus. Understanding of his ways, understanding of his heart, understanding of the things he loves and things he hates and asking us to conform us into his likeness. Being remade in knowledge in the image of our creator. Colossians 1.19, or excuse me, Colossians 1.9. We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So um, let's go to the next one. Actually, look at the, ver- the, the printout. It's the very last line. The next one is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, there's no explicit reference to the fear of the Lord in Paul's prayers, but we know that it's on his consciousness And we know from the book of Acts and other places that there are times where the Spirit does certain things to inspire a godly reverence and fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Like, guys, don't do this because in that age, those things will not be allowed into my kingdom. And I'm going to give you a a warning. And we need to realize with the sobriety and a fear, a godly fear in our hearts of things that we need to avoid because... God doesn't like those things. So since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Well, the spirit of God is the one who brings us into holiness, right? And so we're trying, we're, we're, we're getting rid of every defilement, cleansing ourselves of defilement of body and spirit by the spirit of God with sobriety. Like, man, I, this defilement in my spirit it's unclean before God, but I trust him to purify me. I trust him to purify me. And I know I, I, I don't want to stand before him on the day with soiled garments, right? And then let's, I mean, this is a very sobering passage. Look at Ananias. We know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Did Peter kill Ananias and Sapphira? No. Who was it? 
the Spirit of God. I mean, Peter released a prophetic word. I mean, I'm like, Lord, what? Like, that's a prophetic word. I mean, but it wasn't Peter who killed them. It was God. And you're like, yeah, that might inspire a little bit of the fear of the Lord. I better not do what Ananias and Sapphira did. Like, no, don't go there. Don't go there. Because in the age to come, those things will not be allowed into his kingdom. So he's going to cleanse us of those things now in his mercy and long suffering in restraint before that day comes. So spirit of godliness. And or, yeah, let's just read. Let's go back up. Spirit of the fear of the Lord. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard those things. That was a good fear. That was a godly, clean fear. God's our father and God loves us, but he's a king. And the things that destroy his creation, you know, he does not like it. He has wrathful over it, and it's a wrath based on his love. It shows his concern and care for the things that are being destroyed. Spirit of godliness, number seven, the sevenfold spirit of God. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Love is the fulfillment of the law, right? Love, holiness, godliness. If we're going to summarize it, Jesus, this is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay? The love that denies itself for the sake of obedience to the Father. The love that shows mercy to somebody, even though they may not deserve it or they don't deserve it, right? Being kind and forgiving as we have received forgiveness from our Father. We pray this in order that you may live what? A life worthy of the Lord. This word worthy means agreement, suitable. Be holy as I am holy. This is what God's like, so you need to live a life that matches that. Live a life worthy of the Lord in conformity with the Lord, according to the holy character of the Lord, and, that, and may please him. we pray that you may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Well, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, bearing fruit in every good work. This is godliness, bearing fruit, the fruits of godliness, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more, knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the story. This is the game. This is the battle. This chart, the work, of this is the provision through the Messiah's intercession. That provision, what it looks like practically, is this. As Jesus stands before for his father and intercedes and presents our, our cause before him and makes appeals for us. If this is the father's plan to sanctify us and mature us, what happens if you don't pray? See what I'm saying? Like, what happens if, if this is the way we move forward? What happens if we don't give ourselves to prayer? What happens if we're not praying with understanding of what the game we're actually playing in? And we're not praying for our sanctification and cleansing. We're not praying for the spirit to give us understanding and wisdom and godliness. But we're praying for all the other things that we often pray for. Okay, I'm not, I don't need to point it all out, right? So the point is, this is the house of prayer. The reason, I, and I can say based on this with 100% certainty, the reason God has raised up a house of prayer full of people that are united 
the living and resurrected Messiah at the Father's right hand who has all authority and power is so that we can become like Jesus for real and be a faithful witness, grow in maturity so that we can call others and be a faithful witness to come out from the darkness, that they too can come into union with that resurrected Messiah, join us in the journey in prayer and move forward so that others can do the same. And then by the time he comes back, he has a bride, pure and spotless from every tribe, nation, and tongue. If we're not praying, if we're not taking the call to prayer seriously, and if we're, not, if we're taking the call to prayer and distorting it around a gospel that Jesus doesn't recognize as the gospel, if we're praying, thinking we're playing Monopoly rather than phase 10, right? We will not mature. We won't. If we don't pray around the work of the Spirit, and learn how to hit our faces when those moments come of temptation, crying out to God with prayers centered on the work and the groanings of the Spirit. We cannot mature because that is the way, this is what the apostles, this was what brought the things they imparted to the churches they taught, that standard way of life. This is how it went from instruction to actual lived-out reality. So I want to make this, present this to you. If you are hungry to grow, who's hungry to grow as a follower of Jesus? <laughs> Any sense your follower is going to raise their hand, right? Who, is, who desires to have a greater freedom of breakthrough and temptation, against temptation? Breakthrough against those sins that have just plagued us our whole life, right? Well, I'm telling you, it is vital when these guys come up here and put these guitars on and begin praying these prayers at the mic, when you come and join them in that, do you realize now like what's happening? How important and vital that is. That it's not just, the prayer movement isn't just like the next cool fad. God isn't just saying, oh, well, I did a revival movement then, now I'm going to stir up this prayer movement. God is raising up a prayer movement, if you want to call it. He's raising up, that's normal Christianity. It's not a prayer movement, it's normal Christianity. God is calling us back to prayer because he longs for us to be conformed into the image of Christ as we walk in union with the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh in faith that it's worth it because of the promises. See what I'm saying? This is... If we just get into this, well, the prayer movement, this is the cutting edge, this is this. No, this is Christianity 101 on our knees. It's not about the next conference. It's not about doing something more exciting. It's not ultimately about like prayer is, prayer is less boring with music. But if music helps us pray this stuff, then let's do music. Jesus is like, I, I've got angels singing here. It's all happening up here. I mean, all of those things. But the point is, guys, if we are to grow in maturity as the body of Christ, we've got to hit our knees, and we can't, and we've got to keep our prayers focused on the prayers that the apostles entrusted with the gospel, sent and commissioned by Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth prayed as the way that the things they taught and passed on were actually taken from a page and put in hearts and written on hearts by the Spirit given to us, the provision. This is, and every, guys, listen, do we realize nothing else matters? Like the things that are happening around us. This is the, the day we stand before him. That's the only thing that really matters. And, and the, with the end of the age, as it gets closer and closer, if we are not 
walking in the way of the cross by the power of the Spirit through the strength and grace of our risen Messiah. We cannot stand. We've got the hours urgent. We've got to do it now. And so I want to admonish you. Number one, we've got to pray. Show up to the prayer meetings. If you want to watch that movie on Netflix, watch it. You know, again, I'm not getting into the, like, is it wrong to watch? No, I'm not getting into that discussion. Is it wrong to ever watch a movie? No, that's not. But the point is, Netflix isn't going to make me in the image of Jesus, right? It doesn't mean that I can't learn from a, a movie. I, 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 you know, whatever. It's not, the point is that God is raising up this house of prayer because it's going to take a lot to be a faithful witness in what's coming. And if there, and prayer is the centerpiece of discipleship, but not just prayer. The second admonishment is pray according to the scriptures. Pray the apostolic prayers. Keep them central. As a culture, get those, you know, there's all kinds of things we can pray. It doesn't mean you only have to pray those, but be wary of deviating from those in your prayer. Be wary of prayers that don't focus on the way of the cross and the work of the Spirit in light of the age to come. Keep it focused on what the apostles are praying. There's a reason they're praying it, and they are the ones entrusted with the gospel to the nations. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, Gary, uh, I think, is going to lead in a time of response. Do I maybe have the worship team come up? Worship team, you guys can come up. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us and turn it over to Gary. Guys, the hour's urgent. We must redeem the time and make the most of every opportunity, make the most of the time we have. We don't have time to waste. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. These prayer meetings matter. They're important for the sake of the maturity, the maturing of the body of Christ. For the sake of our own maturity, the breakthroughs that we're crying out for in our family, in our own minds and thought life, whatever area it may be, in our workplace, breakthroughs, wanting to see the lost come in, wanting to see people turn and come into that same union with the Messiah so that they too can resist the temptations of this age and faith of the age to come. So I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for this flock. I thank you. For the work of the Holy Spirit in this community, I thank you for raising up a house of prayer so that you can produce a pure and spotless bride, that this is your heart. Lord, I pray that as men and women and children gather in this place with understanding, as they pray these prayers, Lord, that you would strengthen them. I pray that not a single person in this congregation and fellowship would be lost in the days that are coming. Not a single sheep lost, oh God. This is my cry. That you, oh God, would do whatever is necessary so that every man, woman, and child in this room, no matter how crazy their life has been, no matter how strong their life in you may be at this point, whatever it is, God, I ask you, keep, prepare, strengthen, sanctify, set apart every man, woman, and child in this room by the work of your spirit, Jesus, as you pray, intercede for them. I ask you, O oh God Almighty, to sanctify and set apart and prepare them.
that that Lord Jesus on the day when they see the one who bought them and purchased them with his own blood the day they see you face to face and the tears flow from their eyes and they say God was faithful and it was worth it God I ask you that this will be the testimony in this house of prayer as a faithful witness to Christ crucified a faithful witness to the power and sufficiency of the work of your spirit that you've given us your faithfulness, your grace sufficient your power made perfect in our weakness as weak vessels of clay that you would put the wisdom of God on display to the powers and principalities of the air and that your name would be the only name in that day and that you would we would praise you forever because of your wisdom the wisdom of the cross through the assembly in this hour in Jesus name Hallelujah. Just keep your heads bowed before we transition to a response. I just, the Spirit is just pouring out something so thick of His presence. And if you're in this room and you don't know the Lord in this way, or you know the Lord, but you're going, I am not lining up with this. I'm looking at my life. And this may be some of you in the room, you've been contemplating your, your life more than usual. Something has happened with you that you're like, looking deeper at your your life and the frailty of it and the mortality of it god is calling you right now there is a call that's going forth not from me but from the lord and that's a call from heaven of his mercy if you're sitting in that right now you're feeling that wrestle it is an onslaught of those principalities of power is keeping you back from that that knowledge that walking into that reality and all I want to do, I can't save you. This church can't save you. We can't save you. All we can do is point you to the one who can and pray that God would have mercy upon you and pray with you and lead you in that prayer of mercy. And if that's you in the room, I'm not going to make you come up. We're not going to point you out other than to go, I want to send somebody to you to pray with you. If you're going, that's me. I need to get my life right with the Lord.